0: Now this is our 1,000th episode, so I thought we should open up with something big with music, crowds cheering, maybe some fireworks.
1: What do you think? I think that's incredibly bombastic. Why not?
2: Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio.
0: 2006 was a world before Android or iPhones. Social media was ruled by MySpace and we had never heard of Netflix. The cloud was a little white fluffy thing in the sky. The hot tech toys were Nintendo Wii or the Motorola flip phone. And in a studio in Ireland, a little podcast recorded its first ever episode. Since then, we've been here with you online and with RT's digital station, RT Radio 1 Extra, giving you the latest in tech from Ireland and across the world. My name is Dusty Rhodes and the man who joins us every week with The Knowledge is our Editor-in-Chief Nile Kitson. Niall, we've interviewed so many people over the years. If you
1: only had to pick one as your favourite, who would it be? Oh my goodness, only one. Well, in terms of cultural impact, uh, I would have to say John Romero. I mean, for anyone interested in gaming, anyone interested in gaming journalism, because he was a journalist before uh, he was a game designer. um, Yeah, you have to go back to Doom. It's patient zero when it comes to first person shooters. um, And, you know, just a a great guy to talk about computer games. And uh, of course, he's based in Ireland. So that's kind of nice. The guy that I would probably list would be
0: Reed Hastings, and he is the CEO of Netflix. And when they came in and met us in in Ireland, it was kind of a new thing. It was like, hey, that's kind of neat. Never thought it would end up being one of the top 10 global names in tech. Probably should have given them a longer interview. (laughs) 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 If if, if I'd known, but I I think he's he's the biggest name. So listen, today on the podcast, as we ease ourselves into 2024, we are going to celebrate our 18th birthday with this epic episode 1000, a milestone that not many podcasts reach. So let's celebrate it. Coming up, we have got a packed lineup of friends who will be sharing their thoughts on how tech has changed our world in the time that we've been in on, on air. And the differences are phenomenal.
1: And we'll be talking about huge changes we've seen in finance, social media, travel, entertainment, virtual reality, uh, and more, along with some of the influential people who have shaped our world since 2006. Some you might expect, some you might not. So get ready for an hour of
2: amazing tech nostalgia. Let's go. From techcentral.ie, this is Tech Radio, episode 1000, with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Okay, so here's how it's going to work. We're going to be looking back over the next hour
0: over how technology has changed since we started our little podcast. We've got special interviews lined up. And I'm very happy to say that we have, in a way, got the band back together again because for many years we had a panel chatting about all things tech and two of the most regular members of that panel are joining us now. It's a joy to welcome back the lady who was once our inside contact at Microsoft, Martha Rotter. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. How are you? Also joining us is our longtime friend and tech writer of Note, Jason Walsh. Jason, how are you? I'm great, Dusty. How are you? Good, thanks. So listen, let's start off with a biggie the most influential person of the last decade or two. I mean, there's so many to pick from you. Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Steve Ballmer. Uh, Niall, you're our editor-in-chief, so I'll leave it to you to lead off the pack.
1: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a particular phrase that, you know, uh, might ring a bell, might not, but I'm going to say developers, 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 etc., etc., et cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, Steve Ballmer, the uh, charismatic uh, former CEO of Microsoft. I think he's important because he presided over a period of time where big tech learned to stay in its lane because Microsoft had diversified into so many things. It had a um, social network uh, in Microsoft Spaces, which was also a blogging platform. Uh, it had loads of devices in the Courier, which he had to kill, um, the Kin, which he had to kill, the Zoom, Music player, yeah, which yeah. he had to kill, um, you know, Microsoft is a company that was really, really good at doing practical software. You know, things for, you know, getting getting stuff done, for businesses to get things done. Microsoft is not cool. Bammer tried to make it cool. You do not trust a salesperson to make anything <laughs> cool. I remember the last great moment Steve Bammer had, well, uh, two, really. Um, one was laughing openly at the iPhone uh, and going, $500? Who was going to spend five hundred dollars on a phone? Uh-oh. So, uh Oh, so and what did for him finally was the acquisition of Nokia and the release of the tablet that he had, the Windows RT tablet, um, the first generation Surface.
0: I think I think it's interesting that you say that Steve Ballmer sent out to make Microsoft cool, and I, I think he was the most uncool person who ever worked in the uh, in the organization. Martha, you used to work for Microsoft. I, I won't ask you whether you agree, but uh, do you think that Nile has a point?
3: Uh, I think I my favorite point was you do not trust a salesperson to make something cool I think that is very true um, when I worked for Microsoft I think he was a he was a beloved uh, leader for his enthusiasm and for his, like he would be flown around the world to close deals because no one could say no to this guy he was an amazing amazing salesman and that didn't really translate to um, selling the whole world and the consumers on the tech it did translate into business deals so uh, he was a he was a great person for a lot of the roles that he had but um
0: Business to business was where he excelled, whereas business to consumer. And I'm just thinking because you're all giving out about, you know, salesperson, you know, Steve Jobs was the ultimate sales stroke marketing person. And he knew, well, I would imagine from what I've read of his book, he knew very little about tech. He knew kind of what was possible, but he didn't actually do the day to day kind of designing or or coding or stuff like that. Um, But he succeeded in making it cool. Whereas Steve Ballmer did The Battle of the Steves. There's a book in that. Uh, tell me, uh, Jason, what about you? Who do you think is the most influential or non-influential person
4: or overhyped person since 2006? Well I've developed An unexpected soft spot For Balmer now uh, In more innocent days Um, But yeah I mean I think the most overhyped person And I'm I'm sort of Slightly rueful About mentioning this guy again But I think the the most Overhyped person Is Elon Musk um, Who is a fairly Unimpressive character We talk about sales Or people that don't Necessarily have a terribly Good technical background Um, I know he has some but um, someone who uh, made his money on the value of, of the PayPal shares that he got when his company was absorbed by PayPal, didn't find Tesla, um, made a big deal about being called a founder. Um, I don't personally find Tesla cars particularly interesting as a car owner, but I recognize that as a car guy, they're not aimed at me and they are a lifestyle brand. That's absolutely absolutely correct analysis. Um uh, I, I find his personality Unbelievably off-putting And I'm quite enjoying Watching the Nordic trade union Strike against the company um, Making life very, very difficult for Tesla But, you know, the hubris of buying Twitter And um, saying he was going to see the platform and turn it Into a free speech zone Meanwhile, he's busy suing Anyone who criticizes him Such as Media Matters for America It's just it sort of rank hypocrisy um, I find very, very difficult to deal with, and I'm, you know, it, it's there's a broader point here, which is that while there are lots of interesting things happening in tech, in terms of people are always going to be developing interesting things, developers do interesting things. I just don't find the in- industry as interesting as it used to be, and I I don't think that's just old manism. I think part of the issue is that it has matured to such a point where it is all pervasive and. I think that a lot of what we call tech is actually just marketing now, or social media. And I'm just sort of looking at, you know, newspaper articles and and blogs and and stories about this tech company said this, this tech, and I go, what tech company? I mean, for example, in the north of Ireland, there were uh, reports last year about job cuts at Northern Ireland's biggest tech. Employer, of the big tech company, Allstate. Allstate is an insurance company. It's not a. It's not a tech company. <laughs> it, it,
0: yeah, it's very true. I have to say, the person that I would have said uh, had the most influence is uh, Jeff Bezos. And essentially, what he's taken is he's taken um, home shopping uh, to the next level. And we had home shopping all through the eighties and the nineties, and then TV channels in the middle of the night, you know, uh, hawking all kinds of stuff. He's just taken that and elevated it to an art. And I love, I love systems and I love efficiency and I love good salesmanship and I think that uh, Jeff Bezos has just kind of um, uh, kind of encapsulates all of those three things and the only thing I don't like about Jeff Bezos is that he didn't call me in the year 2000 and say buy some shares (laughs) because listen we'll have more from the panel later we still have to talk about money and entertainment
5: Hello This is Ferg Machanil, CEO of the Digital Hub, in the heart of the Liberties in Dublin. Wishing huge congratulations to Niall and Dusty on reaching 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio.
3: This is Patricia Moore from the Irish Space Association. Congratulations on reaching 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio. This is Kieran Schoiga, Deputy Director General of Science Foundation,
5: Ireland. Congratulations to everyone at Tech Radio on reaching the milestone of its 1,000th episode. And good luck for the future and the next 1,000 episodes.
2: Tech Radio. 1,000.
0: The humble PC may not be our direct link to the internet anymore, thanks to smartphones, but they still can't be beaten as productivity tools. To find out more about what people think about computers in the mobile age, Niall Kitson had a chat with Laptop Lab boss, Colin Baker.
1: When going shopping for a, for a PC or, you know, a laptop or what have you, people do have the, the shopping list sort of beside them, we need, you know, 512 gigs of storage, it has to be an SSD, et cetera. What would you regard as being those sort of major milestones that people pay attention to when they're putting together that shopping list and perhaps how it's changed over time? I mean, were were people always as obsessed with RAM uh, or is this just a function of when they noticed there was more on their smartphones than in their PC?
5: Mm. Good question. Well, you've got different, very different types of consumers and, and customers, and there are certain things in the consumer space that people are very familiar with. And when you're looking at a shopping list or a spec list in a, uh, you know, in one of the, the big technology sheds, if you like, the curries or that of this world, you'll find that some of them, you know, you've got your leading points, your processor. People will know i three, i five, i seven. Um, but they, what they don't often realize is the generations. They've been out for many, many years. So when you've got your i5, you could have a second gen i5 processor from the early noughties. And you think, oh, I'm doing okay. I've got an i5 processor. It's, it, they vary significantly over their iterations and over time. People know RAM very well. Obviously, nowadays, 8 gig is about the baseline, 16 gig is ideal, and then you go up from there. People often know about it, but don't necessarily understand its function. And the simplest way that I tend to explain it is that it is the workspace that the processor gets to use. If it has a constrained workspace, it can't do as much and it might stutter. If it has a larger workspace, it can spit things out and take things in easily and readily. and Whereas hard drive space, there is a misconception there as well. An awful lot of people go, 256 gig SSD. I don't know if that's enough for me. But then you go on and you have a look at their existing use and their machine, and they're only using 40 or 50 gigs. So it's arbitrary whether they're going to have a 256 or a 512 or a one terabyte. So there is notions sometimes where people say, no, I really need a one terabyte. That'll make my machine fast. It doesn't. Not necessarily. Well, certainly, Not at all, unless you start to completely run out of space. Um, I think it's horses for courses, really. You mentioned gaming is sort of at the sphere head. We would say that gaming machines are an entirely different monster in that in some ways they're a terrible machine. So if you take a gaming laptop, for example, because those machines run so hot, um, you've got uh, obviously a dedicated graphics card. Uh, a much weightier machine, a bigger charger, um, a bigger board with a bigger fan or fans, and bigger heat sinks and cooling systems. And ultimately, they will get clogged up. And we end up seeing most gaming laptops. And by gaming, I don't just mean gaming. You buy a machine for AutoCAD or for heavy graphics work, and you decide, I need a dedicated graphics card. And you end up with the thing running out of steam and dying a death after two years so, not being a reliable option. Whereas you might take a ThinkPad, which doesn't have a graphics card, and you're just a regular day to day user, and it's going to last a lot longer for business, admin, research, study, work for college, uh, and just the general hoi polloi of computing and, and internet news. And that
0: was Colin Baker, also known as the gadget guy from the Laptop Lab. You can find them online at backfromthefuture.ie. This is Tech Radio, episode 1000. Let's return to our panel with Martha and Jason and turn our minds to one of the things that has seen huge change over the last decade or two, which is travel. I mean, we've journeys back to the moon. Elon Musk has made Mars a huge topic here on Earth. Uh, Electric cars are massive these days. A sustainable aviation fuel is a big story in uh, 2023. Uh, Martha, can I start off with you on this one? What do you think is the biggest change in travel over the last few years?
3: You'd have to say um, space tourism would be one of the biggest things. I think it's one of the biggest things because it's uh, it's something that now, should you have a spare 450000 you can do that. You can go, uh, you can get a seat on Virgin Galactic flight. You can go into space. You can experience, you know, zero gravity and, and see the blue planet and everything like that. The other piece of it is that it has enabled a lot of other really beneficial technology for space. It has enabled uh, reusable components, which um, SpaceX has prioritized. And, and that means a lot more Work can be done. A lot more um, interesting experiments can be done because things aren't getting destroyed on launch. They're they're be they're able to be reused. So I think that that's a a really big thing, but it's not a thing that affects most people. I think the thing that affects most people today is actually electric vehicles. And that is something that that everybody has started to notice more and more on the streets, wherever you live. There are more fully electric vehicles, there are more plug-in hybrids, there's more uh, charging stations all around wherever you might be and on people's homes. The nice thing is that then they see a difference in their wallet as well. I, I think that's it's a really tangible change. Um, I've had fully electric and plug-in hybrids since probably 2013. And the change in terms of buying petrol and stuff is, is quite large.
0: So let me ask uh, Jason, because uh, Martha, you mentioned uh, going up into space. Uh, Jason, do you th- are you impressed with what Elon Musk is doing?
4: No, not particularly. I'm, I'm impressed with quite a lot of the new space stuff in general. Martha's made some good points. And there, there are some interesting companies in the upstream and downstream and all, all, all parts of, of, of the space industry. But, you know, at the end of the day, the majority of what's going on with, uh, w- with these new companies going into space is they're relying on government contracts. I mean, so obviously NASA and the European Space Agency are launching less frequently. There's problems with Russia, obviously. Um, so... We still got to get things into space and private companies have found an opportunity to make money. They're effectively rent seeking. I'm not even saying this is a particularly bad thing, but I think that some of the propaganda coming out of Musk and people like him perhaps to a lesser degree, uh, Bezos, he seems slightly less objectionable, um, is is masking the fact that they are basically servicing a single customer, which is the US government, mostly.
0: And how about you, Niall? Because I know Niall is the one of us uh, who drives the biggest electric car of them all. It's called the Lewis. <laughs> 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 on,
1: on, on the terms of travel, what, what has kind of changed most for you in the last 15 years? Yeah, well, there's no getting away from electric vehicles. I mean, Tesla has become a lifestyle brand as much as a, a, a car brand that people are excited about. Um, I mean, if you look at the Cybertruck, I mean, the, the thing looks like an absolute weapon. Uh, Elon Musk said, you know, if you, if you crash into someone else, you will win. It's a, You know, if you crash into someone else, you will kill them. That's, that's basically it. I mean, if you have a truck with no crumple zones, you're looking for trouble. Um, however, the big problem that uh, there is with travel and electric vehicles is that issue of infrastructure. Uh, if I get stuck in the middle of nowhere, um, how you know how close is the nearest charging station? Uh, I know where the nearest service station is. I know where, where I can get a tank of petrol. Uh, can I get my battery charged as well? And I think that's the one thing holding uh, electric vehicles back. Um, a personal, personal bugbear of mine when it comes to... Uh, transport and anyone living in Dublin city or perhaps any city around the country will have noticed are these god awful scooters that nobody seems to have figured out what they are yet Um, I've seen people lashing around footpaths on them, I've seen people on the roads, I've seen people with and without helmets I've seen people, uh, actually I saw a guy who owns a shop uh, pull up to to open the shutters one day, he was wearing a full motorcycle helmet and I said to myself well if if that's what the guy who owns the shop is wearing that's what you need. Motorcycle helmet. Um, so, yeah, the electrification of, uh, of transport and also turning transport into more of a lifestyle choice in the same way that Apple became more of a lifestyle brand when it came to computing. Um, so I think those are those are big, um, big changes. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to sort of the, the petrol heads, it's, it's an engineering interest as much as anything. And maybe maybe Jason will agree or disagree with me on that. Um, Whereas now I think it's much more of a fashion thing because it's much more open and available to more people.
0: I think the one thing that I have been impressed with the last 15 years is the reemergence of talk about going to the moon. So I'm kind of I have one foot in looking at the past couple of years and one foot looking at the next year or two. I missed the moon landing in 1969. I would love to be alive for the next moon landing. And they're talking about 2025, so that'll be very uh, ex- exciting for me. Anyway, listen, that's travel. We'll have more from the panel later. Hi, this
6: is Mary Kahala, head of The BT Young Scientist Technology Exhibition. I just want to say congratulations to Niall and Dusty on their 1,000th episode of Tech Radio. Well done. Mark Kelly here, founder of AI Ireland. Congratulations on your 1,000 episodes. Fantastic work. This is Lorna Jennings, Managing Director of Hanover Communications. Congratulations to Niall and Dusty on reaching 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio.
2: Tech Radio one thousand.
0: Another huge story over the last eighteen years has been cyber security, from tightly managed state-sponsored cyber armies to hacktivist collectives. Security threats come in many varieties. Brian Honan is CEO of BH Consulting, and he had a chat with Niall Kitson about the changing face of security
7: over the years, starting with a group who shall not be named. Yeah, I think that we've, we've always had hacktivism around. Uh, so you would have, you know, even before Anonymous, you would have groups who would be hacking websites based on uh, maybe a political move, motive or an ethical motive. So, for example, you, you might be hacking a, a certain country's website in protest against their international work or whatever they're doing. So, for example, it was quite common uh, over the years for websites based in Pakistan to be attacked by pro-Indian. Activists and and likewise Indian websites to be attacked by pro-Pakistan activists. Similarly, even today we have uh, ongoing attacks against Israeli websites, and we've got ongoing attacks against uh, Palestinian-type websites or or, uh, sites that support those causes. And that has that has always been the case. I think what Anonymous brought to the table was a they were very much better organized. And I think for want of a better phrase, they had a much better marketing department than many other hacktivist groups. They were very good at using Twitter and social media to promote themselves and to promote the work they've been done. So typically, other hacktivist groups would have defaced a website and would have left it at that, whereas Anonymous, Lulsec and others would have compromised a website boasted about on social media but in in a humorous way, in a in, in a very uh engaging way and got a big audience as a result. But they would also um, publish the information as well. So if they got sensitive information, they published that online as well to to augment or reinforce their messaging. So the motivations probably haven't changed a whole lot, as you said, now but they we also the sophistication of the attacks may not have been overly sophisticated, but The methodology they used to promote the the attacks and how they did it, It's, it's still a lot of things we're dealing with today. It's social engineering, it's password reuse, it's lack of patching of systems, and that's how Anonymous did it. And they also created this mythology about their group being huge worldwide and that everybody was in it from... People working in government to people working in within the police, working within within law enforcement, working within the data centers. So who could you trust? And you know we are everywhere. So it was a very good. You know, it wasn't just hacking computer systems. It was hacking social media from a, a publicity point of view and hacking and social engineering people's minds into believing that they were bigger than they were. And that was Brian Honan from BH Consulting. You'll
0: find him at bhconsulting.ie. And we'll have that full interview for you on the
2: podcast in the coming weeks. Share the knowledge and invite a friend to listen. Search Apple, Spotify, or YouTube for Tech Radio Ireland. Let's talk about
0: money and how our financial worlds have changed over the last fifteen uh, years or so. I mean, we've got Bitcoin today. We've got a, a Stripe for doing business with. You've got Revolut for your day-to-day kind of banking kind of things, and uh, we've all kinds of mobile bank apps. Uh, we've had crypto crashes and then crypto explosions and runs and all that kind of stuff. Um, let me start off with Jason on this one. Jason, you've. Kind Kind of got pluses and minuses in the financial world that's, that's changed over the last 15 years what are they
4: yeah I mean the, the, what's important to, to understand about the last 15 years is it's been a zero interest rate um, uh, environment effectively constantly but it's not that anymore so what has been happening in the last 15 years is a lot of things have been inflating people have felt like they've been able to make no money with you know traditional savings they shoved it into other places Um Obviously, there was enormous speculative boom in, in shares, but you know, fundamentally, companies do have value if they produce products. Um, things like Bitcoin, which I, I know people will be talking about later, they, that is a function of uh, of a zero interest rate environment. That is not that is not where we are now, so that won't continue. But you know, to be positive for once for a change, um, I think that crowdfunding has been interesting. A lot of projects and products have been produced that wouldn't have been produced. I do worry is a little bit of fatigue. Everyone seems to have a Substack, you know, and uh, wants to charge five euros a month to read their ramblings when they can read mine for free. But um, you know, um honestly that I think that's a positive thing. We've seen a lot of products, seen a lot of failures, but that's the nature of taking a punt on a on a product or a service that someone has, has has decided to create. I think it's been quite good for um niche hobbies that wouldn't have got mainstream support you know um, i'm personally not massively into gaming for example but a lot of people you know uh, a lot of retro stuff has been produced and reproduced some very interesting products there and that's all a function of the ability to give small amounts of money to people to build products that just wouldn't have got support from the mainstream so i think that's great
0: I think when somebody figures out a way that you can send five cents to somebody online, then we have something, you know. Uh, But anyway, that's another topic. Uh, No, bank apps are, are something that
1: you've been impressed with over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, well, the whole idea of challenger banks. uh, I mean, uh, in Ireland, we're used to the idea of the pillar banks. And of course, during the financial crisis, uh, we lost a couple. uh, And I think it really opened up a space where people started looking at how they manage their money. So you have the likes of N26, you have the likes of Revolut um, that have come along app-based banking that are licensed overseas um, so you know there there is still that sort of regulatory framework uh, managing them, but changing the way people uh, engage with their money, being much more practical, um, being much more aware of how they can segment, how they can save, how they can transfer money, uh, and how to make it very very easy to do so. Because we're quite used to using massive online portals that were developed using or waterfall development techniques years in the making that by the time they are deployed, you you go, well, why can't we do this? Uh, Because Revolut have been able to do this for years. Uh, And I think uh, looking at banking apps and these challenger banks that are coming in from overseas, uh, I think that has been a massive difference. I mean, you had organizations like Web Summit where staff are directly paid in n twenty six. You know, so that's that's the kind of landscape that we're seeing, uh, sort of that, that locus, that, that sort of conversation moving away from the likes of AIB, from the likes of Bank of Ireland, which we still own big chunks of, uh, into foreign financial institutions that uh, that we don't. And, you know, Revolution is getting into uh, loans and I believe they're getting into mortgages as well in the near future.
0: Yeah, And just to be clear when you say foreign uh, a lot of them are EU based so they're within the EU, European community so they're as good yeah. as being Irish so, okay? so you don't have to worry so much Niall all right? with these yeah. foreigners <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of foreigners Speaking of foreigners uh, Martha Rotter who we have willingly adopted is to be an honorary Irish woman uh, I can't believe that nobody has mentioned Bitcoin in, in, in detail I am a big supporter of Bitcoin I think it's fantastic I think the fact that you have one financial system that works across the world, wherever you are, that you're able to do it uh, with relative safety and relative security and relative uh, ease, I think is amazing. And I put some money into it. And now I'm kind of gently smiling to myself going, "Eh, yeah, this is turning into a nice little nest egg. Um, You're not a fan of Bitcoin. Why not?
3: I, I, all of the things that you just mentioned, I I would contest i think like the relative ease the relative security cryptocurrencies have been subject to hacking and security breaches there's been exchange hacks there've been wallet thefts there's loads of phishing attacks that have proven to be problematic for uh, crypto owners limited adoption there's so many coins with dumb names and and no uh, adoption Another problem that I have with crypto is the environmental concerns. So a lot of these currencies, uh, things like Bitcoin, they require a lot of computational power in order to mine new coins. And I think there's a lot of concern about the environmental issues uh, due to carbon footprint and due to energy consumption. I think that another problem is you can lose your key. So you can have plenty of cash. You can have a nice little nest egg. And then all of a sudden, your laptop, which has your one copy of your private key, uh, decides to die, and now your all your money is gone. There's no way to recover that. And I think for a lot of people who are not tech savvy, this isn't they are being sold. Um, that this is where your money should be and this is how you should be saving for the future and they don't understand the risks. I think this is not something that I want my parents to be putting their retirement savings into because they would not understand the risks. I have nothing against my parents, but uh, I play tech support for them a lot. So uh, I think it is a promising technology for the future, but I think we're, we have a lot of problems to solve uh, with crypto before it becomes a, a mainstream thing.
0: And I think I would agree with you on that. There are a lot of problems to solve. I think there's a future in it. We'll see what happens. We'll come back in another 15 years. We'll have a chat about it. Still to come on our 1000th episode of Tech Central, we'll be chatting with the panel uh, about all things entertainment.
5: Hello, Kieran McCorry here. I'm the National Technology Officer in Microsoft Ireland. I'd just like to say a huge congratulations on the 1,000th episode of Tech Radio.
6: This is Ashley Gray from Beta Festival, and congratulations to Niall and Dusty on your 1,000th episode. It's incredible. It's an amazing achievement.
5: Sean Nolan from Agile Networks here. Congratulations, Niall and Dusty, on 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio. I don't see ChatGPT or AI taking over from you guys anytime soon. Keep up the good work.
0: Social media has gone from a novelty for college students to a way of life and a way of making money for content creators. Mary Rose Lyons from the Institute of AI Studies has seen it all. And she had a chat with Niall Kitson about how social media has changed our basic understanding of what friendship
6: is. There's a really amazing writer called Sherry Turkle. And she studies how our language has changed over time. And it's so interesting. But, you know, the way words come from social media and they come into our normal kind of parlance and then they become just like a, nor- a normal word, even just kind of the the, the language of uh, emojis, for example, is perfectly acceptable in business context now that came from social media. And then there's also the kind of, you know, the hashtag people would sort of I think it's a bit naff, like somebody would do something and say hashtag, you know, feeling all right. I love the way there is that flow between technology and the way humans engage and the way we engage in real life. But I know that the kind of Gen Z generation coming up, um, they, they don't really see the kind of the two different realities in the same way as us older folks do. For them, it's just there's life.
1: I think something that uh, older people, of which I, I count myself as one uh, these days, the element of discovery for new material, new books, new music, new films, whatever, used to be based on word of mouth, reading magazines, watching TV shows, trying to find any avenue of information. That's something that people really don't don't have or don't need anymore, thanks to the algorithm. Uh, Do you think the algorithm has become an aid or a limiting factor when it comes to finding new material or new ideas?
6: Well, to answer that question, I just explain how I find new books to read, for example, or new shows to watch. And it's something I've been doing in 2023. And I urge everyone listening to give this a whirl. Uh, Screw the algorithm. Don't have the algorithm tell you what you're going to read, watch, do, say, where you're going to go on holidays anymore. But instead, go over to ChatGPT or Claude or Bing or Bard or any one of these new generative AI large language models. So what I like to do is to put into one of them, the following are my all-time favorite books. And I'll put in maybe five or six titles that I've just really enjoyed reading. And I'll say, give me a list of 10 or 12 or 15 or 100 if I want to. There's no penalty for asking for more. Give me a list of five books that I might like. So I've done this several times this year. And when I look at the list, the first thing I, I notice is that the books that it's recommending, I'll have read about 70 or 80 percent of them because they're the kind of books I like. And I have gone off and discovered new books and also new shows to watch and films on the basis of AI. So what I'm finding in my experience is that I'm having a lot more um almost like flashbacks to the early days of the web before semantic web came. And pretty much all of our experience was is is pretty much based on what we've kind of come to expect. It's not like that in AI. You're still getting those kind of random crazy items. Particularly in the world of uh, text to video, when you do a text to video on a, on an app like, say, Runway, for example, you get these you can get these crazy looking outputs, and it just delights me that that's still possible in our in our game. It hasn't been it hasn't been ironed out yet, and hasn't been algorithmed.
1: Uh, is is that where that sort of mid two thousands energy for social media has now migrated to?
6: Yeah, I would say so. There's a lot of people who are probably sick and tired of it, like, you know, the fact that, you know, Instagram is this kind of like beautiful, beautiful world. You know, TikTok is great. It's like it's a lot of fun and it can be kind of, it doesn't have to be as as perfect. LinkedIn is, you know, the I'm so proud. So if you don't want to be engaging in any of those spaces and um, maybe create your own space, go and have conversations with AI and learn something or or ask it questions or ask it to kind of be your coach, ask it to be your life coach ask it to critique your, your your long-held ideas about a particular point in the style of uh, Freud, or for example, um, have a bit of crack with it, you know.
0: That was Mary Rose Lyons from the Institute of AI Studies. You'll find her contact details in the show notes of our podcast. And next week, we'll have the full interview with Mary Rose about all things social media and AI. Tech Radio. Episode 1000. So let's check in with our panel once again uh, to chat about how things have changed over the last 15 years since we started the Tech Radio podcast. Um, Let's talk about entertainment because, I mean, the whole digital thing is there's no more going down to X Division. Uh, come to think of it there's no more extra vision so uh, everything is being delivered to us uh, digitally via our media Virgin Media Connection or whatever our fibre and and so on and so forth we're getting our music our our news our TV our entertainment our our movies and everything like that Uh, and it's all developing so fast Um, the second biggest website in the world is YouTube these days and it's something that I have to say I probably need to talk to somebody about because I am on it a lot and it's just like you're just I find myself watching a lot of quite interesting stuff maybe 25% of the time and utter rubbish 75% of the time but if I want to watch utter rubbish 100% of the time I just go into YouTube Shorts and I just don't understand maybe it's just because I'm getting old YouTube Shorts to me is just kind of like 30 seconds of nonsense wait till the end you'll never believe what happens and then nothing happens that kind of thing and TikTok is even worse and it just it it does my head in that part of modern life meh, uh, I don't get uh, Niall you're more kind of into the the tunes side of things?
1: Yeah, well, when we started the podcast, one of the big debates was how do you solve a problem like copyright? Uh, because we were knee-deep in Pirate Bay and that kind of thing. And it turned out, um, just give people an affordable alternative and and they will come. And I think that's why we have sort of the popularity of Spotify. Um, Yep, it's a freemium model, but it also means that, you know, the artists are at least getting something for their trouble and the artists get to submit things off their own bat. So they're still in control over their own catalogue. So, uh, however, you look at the alternatives to it that are out there, Uh, I think an interesting example is Tidal, which is sort of the uh, the alternative of, you know, a streaming service by the 1% for the 1% kind of Um, an alternative, uh, an appalling alternative uh, with an absolutely hilarious launch event, which uh, had an awful lot of very wealthy people saying this is going to change everything. Uh, and everybody else going, no, we really don't care about what Madonna thinks about streaming services. So uh, I think making more music available to more people, uh, preferably free, uh, but with the artist's consent uh, has been an absolutely huge development and uh, very happy to be part of it. Although um, Spotify is becoming hugely annoying for the amount of ads that, uh, that are in it. I find I, I'm getting two songs before I get mad these days, uh, which is which is pretty bad.
0: There's a switch you can use within the, the app that would cure that. And it's, uh, it's it says subscribe on it, OK? And if you pay the money, the ads go away. <laughs> Just a little tip for you there, Noah. Uh, Martha, <laughs> uh, speaking of all these apps, you know, kind of Apple and uh, Spotify and everything do it uh, these days. Uh, they're doing music, but they're also doing podcasts. And you're a big fan of podcasts.
3: I am, yes. Uh, I And I think that this is something that... Um, supported by things like Serial that really reached out to the mainstream um, have caused people to realize that, that there's some podcasts for everybody now. Whereas I think um, maybe 10 years ago, uh, podcasts were were a little more niche. And now I think there are, everyone I know has various podcasts on their phone all the time that they listen to. They can be as niche as you like. And um, there's so many different apps to help you find and sort and subscribe to these, uh, to different things that you want to enjoy. Um, you can also, uh, if you find a podcast that you like and you want to support them, lots of them now have really easy ways to support them through something like Patreon or um lots of different, you know, micropayment subscription services or one-time donations. And I think that that's also a good way for people to feel like they're supporting, they're helping the podcast that they enjoy to to stick around.
4: Jason, you, you wanted to jump in on this. Yeah, I mean, I think what Martha says is undeniable. And I think one of the reasons for it is that podcasts can be produced quite easily. So you can produce this absolute niche content. You know, Chris Anderson came out with The Long Tail, the book, The Long Tail in 2004, the then Wired editor. It has worked. It has worked for podcasts. It's worked for music. Um, I've got a lot of free jazz LPs here that were pressed because people were selling them on Bandcamp. I don't think it's worked for movies. Now, let me be clear. You can find alternative and independent and foreign cinema if you go searching really hard for it, but the studios are just pumping out um, reboots, remakes, uh, franchises. Uh, everything's becoming more and more mainstream and more and more boring. And as someone that grew up and educated myself, frankly, watching Channel 4 and BBC 2 at two in the morning when I was a teenager, I think the loss of accessible independent film and foreign film you know it's part of the reason possibly why I live where I do know I live in France um, where this culture is still alive there are 300 cinemas a thousand screens in this city but I don't know uh, why the film industry has become uh, so dependent on tentpole franchises and I think there is a certain amount of fatigue around particularly the big Marvel and uh, Star Wars franchises so it's just interesting that the movie industry which sort of we thought was surviving the digital onslaught better than the music industry 10 years ago. Mm, maybe it's not now. Right, there we go.
0: Listen, let's take a, a quick break from there and we'll join the panel one final time before we end the podcast.
8: Hi, this is Nell Watson of the European Responsible AI Office. Congratulations on your thousandth episode. Hi there, this
7: is Michael O'Hara. I'm Group Management Director of Theta Solutions and co-founder of Techies Go Green. Congratulations, guys, Niall and Dusty on achieving 1,000
5: episodes of Tech Radio.
3: Hi, this is Yvonne Halpin, head of the Irish Marie Skodowska Curie Office. I want to send a massive congratulations to Niall and Dusty on 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio. This is Deirdre Mortel
8: of Rethink Ireland. Congratulations to Niall and Dusty on making it to a 1,000 episodes of Tech Radio. That is pretty impressive. Well done.
2: Tech Radio
0: 1,000. Since 2006, we've been constantly chatting about AI, virtual reality and augmented reality. And with AR, despite every price range we've seen from Google Cardboard to Apple's Vision Pro, mixed reality is proving a bit of a hard sell to consumers. Niall Kitson asked Fujitsu Distinguished Engineer Cara O'Carroll about how long more we'll have to wait for VR to happen.
8: The the history of VR goes back to about 1838. <laughs> right? So when, when Sir Charles Wheatstone first realised that each eye produces a different image, that was firstly really important to understand this idea of being stereoscopic. And then the first flight simulator was 94 years ago in 1929. All right? So we still think that you know VR is new and it's funky, but it's it's really not. Like the first VR goggles were in 1935 called Pygmalion spectacles. You know, so it's I think it's still really funny that we look at the box for the Meta Quest or something in Smith's toys go, "Ooh, look at that. It's so new and funky." but it's not really new and funky. <laughs> you know, the The first virtual world is 1965 called The Ultimate Display. This is, you know, so I, I'm just picking out these to show that VR has been around for a really, really long time. And the question is, you know, how does it make the leap into, let's say, consumer adoption? Like the, the phrase virtual reality comes from 1984. So we're getting a bit closer. And then we got into the 90s, you had Sega games with their VR games, Nintendo with their Virtual Boy. The Oculus Rift is only 11 years old, 2012, so not not long ago. Then Facebook obviously bought them. Then you had the MetaQuest Pro in 2022 for a staggering, what, $1,500. And the Apple Vision Pro this this year, so it's It it seems a bit weird to put this forward, but given the slow-ish pace of adoption and the really high unit cost, it still feels like the technology is emerging.
1: Yeah. So if the pace is that slow, then you can still be quite confident about its uh, ongoing development and
8: adoption then. Well, yeah. So there has been traction for all that length of time in this concept of virtual reality and and augmented reality and the use cases continue to evolve the devices continue to evolve the idea of being able to see someone's eyes behind the goggles is this year's innovation um and I've I, someone has told me about the TikToks of people walking down the street wearing their AR VR goggles And how they're not landing on, you know, into into street lamps is a good thing. Um, So there's a a new trend emerging there. So the fact that you have some major brands making AR and VR headsets means there will be continued investment in the segment. I think it probably is a barrier for the smaller players, if there are any in the market. Because, you know, how do you compete against Apple and against Meta and so on? I mean, you know, there were others in the market before, but, you know, they've become the big leaders. There will just be more and more development. I think they'll probably make the headsets lighter, ultimately, and easier to wear and have more options. And chatting with a colleague about this, and um, we were talking about the idea of the assistive touch that you've got with the Apple Watch now, the ability to make gestures and do commands by putting your thumb and forefinger together or clenching your fist. So maybe you're going to be pairing the headsets with other commands over time.
0: That was Cara O'Carroll from Fujitsu, Ireland. You'll find her contact details in the show notes. And we'll be airing that full interview later on in January, chatting about big wins and losses in tech.
2: This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson
0: last stop in with our panel then for today with Jason and Martha and Niall. And I suppose I kind of want to just keep something with Ireland related uh, in mind when you're chatting about it. Martha, can I start with you? Because you've come from the States, you've moved to Ireland, you've made it your home here. Uh, And as I said, you know, you were working for Microsoft at one stage. There was a proliferation of international companies. How does all that sit in your head and how has it changed?
3: I think the, the tech, like as a as someone who works in technology, the tech scene in Ireland, and, and especially in Dublin, has just gotten to be so good. When I moved here in 2007, um, it was there were a, a good few big companies, um, big multinationals like Microsoft and like Google. Um, but now a lot of people have left those companies to start their own things. and because of that good talent because uh, people have moved here to work for those companies as well. so there's there's homegrown talent. there's also talent that is coming into Dublin. There's also uh, other companies that have started setting up development offices here. So there are um, there's offices for Stripe here. There's offices uh, for lots of different bigger companies that have that have opened up but, there, but there's also a lot of really successful, startups that were grown in Ireland, like Teamwork and like Log Entries and Intercom and lots of companies that have, have built large bases here, um, have have capitalized on the great technology talent that we have in Ireland and, and built strong companies. And I think that that is just a, a testament to good engineering, good practices, um, a good environment.
0: So from your point of view, then, Ireland is not just a home for the multinationals. As a result of that, there's lots of the industry is, is breaking up and spreading out and it's becoming a tech centre within itself. So it could be, it could be described as the Silicon Valley of Europe. <laughs> yeah, sure. I said, could be, could, could be, be, yeah, sure. sure. Uh, <laughs> Niall, uh, listen, we do an awful lot of stuff about the Science Foundation Ireland, how things change with them over the last 15 years.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in order to get to sort of that engineering talent, you've also got to look at what's happening in science and research, uh, SFI being a huge part of that, uh, uh, kind of having an awful lot of influence on the kind of research coming out of Ireland. They're particularly fond of things that can indeed be spun out uh, or projects that can attract an industry partner. Um, it's you know uh, a very uh, successful model in some corners, quite controversial because of uh, a perceived lack of investment and support for basic research. Um, personally, whenever I go to the young scientists, I am um, always amazed by the standard of projects there. Uh, I mean, when I was there in my sort of teenage years, things were fairly rudimentary. These days, uh, it seems that when I was growing up, we had bands. When the kids these days are growing up, they've got startups. Uh, It just seems that there is this wonderful entrepreneurial um, uh, aspect to younger people and this great hunger for uh, science, technology, engineering and maths, which is great news uh, for the talent pipeline. I mean, having a look at CEO points, um, science, the sciences are doing very, very well. Uh, unfortunately, the, art, the arts are doing not so well, but I suppose that's that's another uh, another debate. So the, the overall standard of STEM and research in Ireland has just gone through the roof since we've been doing the show. And it's yeah. very heartening to see.
0: I uh, know, and a lot of that comes through on tech radio over the years. Uh, we always go down to the Unscientist exhibition every year, and we have several uh, fascinating interviews every year uh, to do with Sense Foundation Ireland as well. So, uh, all good. Uh, for me, I think that one of the things I'm proudest of uh, being an Irish person over the last 15 years is, I mean, we've mentioned Mr Musk. Let's not mention him again, but uh, he did a set up PayPal and was a terrific success, and he made it, billions and billions out of it and has been able to go on and do uh, amazing things since. I think we have our Irish equivalent, and it's the two guys uh, from Limerick, the two brothers from Limerick, went up and set up Stripe. And Stripe is now an international player in uh, taking credit card payments on on websites. And now I'm not a coder like uh, you, Martha. I I dabble, uh, but I'm not a coder. Uh, But I can understand Stripe and I can do things very easily and I'm able to take credit card payments and stuff like that. Uh, I think what they are doing is amazing for me but I just feel really proud every time that I see them being mentioned on the world stage as one of the biggest payments and I hope they become the richest men in the world. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to have two Irish brothers who are like, oh yeah, richest brothers in the world. Well done. From Limerick, you know. (laughs) I knew him. (laughs) You get all that kind of lark like, you know. So I do feel, I do feel proud about them. Um, But another thing that makes me feel proud as well, uh, and we've had a lot of it, particularly in twenty twenty three, was uh, Ireland in its space. And there's an awful lot happening in that
4: area. Something that you watch, Jason, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not promising you it's going to be the next big thing, but it might be. When I was a kid in uh, the 80s, there was an Oracle office in BlackRock and Apple were down in Cork. But if you told me that Ireland was going to become the epicenter of Europe's tech industry, I wouldn't have believed you. So maybe that'll happen with space. There's really interesting companies, companies like Rialtra, uh, Compass Informatics, Icon Geo, mostly in the downstream. So they're dealing with satellite imaging All kinds of uses for things, you know, strange things you wouldn't think about, how satellites can be used in farming, you know, land analysis, uh, climate, all sorts of stuff. The Irish Space Association was launched um, just in April 2023, April of this year. So, you know, that'll be lobbying the government and hopefully bring a lot of these companies together. So I think the space sector could be, it sounds unlikely, people probably don't think about space. When you think about space in Europe, you think of France, Italy, you know, companies with this kind of large uh, aerospace and military kind of background. But Ireland actually, you know, got a, quite a lot going on in downstream and software, so that could be the future for Ireland. Who knows?
0: As always, we, we punch above our weight. Listen, uh, I have to say we've run out of time for our 1,000th episode uh, for now, but I really want to thank uh, Martha Rotter. Moved to Ireland in 2007 and was part of our podcast since almost the beginning. Thank you so much for coming in on uh, show number 1000. Thanks, Dusty. And Jason, you've been with us tons and tons and tons right throughout the entire 15 years. And I love you because you're not afraid of anybody. You just speak your mind. And I hope you continue to do so for for a long, long time to come. Thanks for joining us today, Okay. Thanks, Dusty. And Niall, thank you. You've been, um, oh, this is going to sound almost romantic. You've been at my side for 15 years.
1: Oh, good grief. Good grief. (laughs) I told you it would sound romantic. He sounds like the (laughs) missus already.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> very true. Very true.
0: Anyway, I just wanted to say I really enjoy it and I love the banter and the fact that we don't agree on things and we can take the mick out of each other. And it's out of all of the podcasts that, that we produce, I think this is, well, A, it's the oldest, but uh, also uh, it's also my favourite and a lot of that is down to you. So thank you very much, Nile. Oh, I think it's...
1: ah, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> give, <laughs> give me the warm and fuzzies.
0: Tech Radio. 1000. Listen, let's leave it for there. Uh, we are going to wrap up the podcast for now because all four of us uh, have got the mammoth job of figuring out how we're going to blow out or even put on a thousand candles onto the cake uh, here with us today. So uh, <laughs> there we go. Listen, that is it for Show 1000. Thank you to you as well uh, for listening to us and for supporting us uh, week in, week out. And we hope that we will continue uh, to give you a lighthearted look at the tech world as we continue through 2024
2: and 2021. 25 and 26 and 27 blah, blah, from Tech Radio for myself and I'll uh, take care remember you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie share the knowledge and invite a friend to listen search Apple Spotify or YouTube for Tech Radio Ireland or listen with RTE Radio 1 Extra Tech Radio is produced by dustpod.io for techcentral.ie From me, Artemis, live long and prosper.